you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. This is Alan Griffith. You are listening to episode 51 of By the Book. We emphasized a session or two ago that uh, the branding of this podcast is this simple truth that if you don't see the world through the Bible, you'll never see it right. And that is truth. A lot of people reject that, but that's why the world is confused. I'm glad you're listening. We're talking about what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, and we're focusing right now on what it says about the human being. Uh, People don't understand who they are, what they are, how they function, where they're going. They don't get it. Uh, We need to get it. And we need to get into the scriptures because it's the source of information about humanity, about people. Our foundational verse for uh, part of this discussion is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. I want to read that to you. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have already talked about the human spirit. We have begun to talk about the body. And our focus is on the fact that God says that he wants us sanctified wholly. He wants us sanctified completely. He wants our human spirit to be surrendered to him. He wants us to worship him in spirit, to serve him in spirit, to glorify him in our spirit. And then we started to talk about the body, and we're going to pick up on that. And after we finish with the body, we're going to talk about the soul. And that's where I really want to get uh, to the discussion on, on how we function, because that's the battleground of life. And so we're heading in that direction. Now, I may take an episode to talk about uh, government and elections and such because we're just about there, and uh, this is serious. So we're going to talk about some of those things from a biblical perspective. But uh, in this episode, I want to begin by going to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, a very familiar text. You might have it memorized. You might say, well, I've heard that before. Well, let it be the foundation for our uh, conversation today. Here's what Paul said, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, I'm challenging you, by the mercies of God. You know, if you're saved today, you've experienced the mercy of God, and you have experienced it because of Jesus Christ, his death for you on the cross of Calvary, and uh, the life, the wonderful life that you now have in him. You have experienced the mercies of God. Uh, You and I continue to experience those mercies every day. So Paul's challenge is, uh, on the basis of that, he said, you need to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And I don't know if you've done that or not. We're going to come back and and discuss it more. He goes on and says that that body should be holy. It should be acceptable to God. And he says, doing this is our reasonable service. 
And then he warns us in verse 2 to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, very familiar verses memorized by many, uh, not necessarily obeyed by many. I don't think many have come to grips with what this challenge really is about. Uh, We are going to get back to it. But I wanted to read this as kind of foundational for this episode with the idea of focus on our body. Let's talk about it. The Bible tells us that God made man of the dust of the ground. That's repeated a number of places in Scripture, in Genesis, and the Psalms, and so on. And both man and animals, because we've talked about the distinction of them, but both man and animals were formed of the dust of the ground. We find that in Genesis 2.7, verse 17, excuse me, verse 19. The Hebrew word is afar. In English, you would spell it A-P-H-A-R. It means dust, earth, mud, ground, clay, whatever. God's the potter. We're the clay. Now, interestingly, that while the ratios are different, uh, you might know this, but the human body contains the same elements as uh, the crust of the earth. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, they're the main elements of us and of the earth. Uh, They total 96% of the human body. And then there's other elements, and that includes sodium and potassium and magnesium and calcium and iron and iodine and phosphorus and chlorine and sulfur and whatever. All that makes us what we are as a physical uh, being. Uh, Adam is actually the Hebrew word for man. We talk about Adam, but that's the Hebrew word for man. Uh, Adema is one of the Hebrew words for earth. So you can see the relationship there between the man and the earth. Uh, and much of the time you'll find, again, the name Adam as uh, as the term man. And uh, many other times you'll see uh, the term ish is actually added to the man. And and that uh, kind of leads to the idea of the woman. So I'm not going to go into all that detail at the moment, but I would remind you that uh, God created man in his image. It's recorded for us back in Genesis 1, 26, 27, Genesis 2, 7. Uh, that was the material aspect of man that was created along with the spiritual aspects. But the body and we mentioned this uh, a while back, is what gives us world consciousness. In other words, I have this body. That's my ability to communicate and function in this world. I see, I hear, I smell, I taste, I touch, and so on. Now, Genesis 1, 28, uh, makes an interesting statement. I want to comment on it. It says of God uh, making man in his image, and then he says male and female made he them. Now, the term male is the Hebrew zakar. If you were going to write it in English, it would be Z-A-W-K-A-R. Now, listen, that term means the marked. So, male is the marked. Female, the Hebrew term is nakab. 
N-A-W-K-A-B. So the male, Z-A-W-K-A-R, the female, N-A-W-K-A-B. Now, this term for female means, listen to it, the pierced. So you have the male, the marked, the female, the pierced. These terms denote the sexual qualities of man and woman. So God made male and female. God made, we've talked about it before, two genders. That's all. That is science. They were then instructed to procreate. The Bible says they were told to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth. The Hebrew term, therefore, replenish is to fill, not refill, but to fill. Uh, We mentioned before angels, apparently all created at one time. Not so with man. God created one man and one woman. That produced every other human being from, uh, from their relationship. So, interesting, as man developed, um, he sinned. We know that. That affected the body. Uh, that's why the body's going to die. Your body's going to die should Jesus tarry. <clears throat> we don't know how long we'll live. Uh, Psalm 90 talks about us living 70 years or possibly 80 years. The lifespan in the United States right now, I believe, is uh, about 78 years. That may fluctuate, but somewhere in that neighborhood. So God knew what he was talking about in Psalm 90, 3,500 years ago. Interesting that man was given language. Man was able to uh, communicate, and uh, they were supposed to fill the earth. You might remember they decided to stay together, and you get to the point where you're at the uh, the Tower of Babel and and all that that comes from that confusion. Actually, out of the Tower of Babel, uh, the different languages were given, and uh, the genealogies of Shem and Ham and Japheth indicate that when they were forced apart, they were forced apart by languages. And uh, because the genealogies remain distinguished, Japheth's genealogy is given. In other words, Japheth and his descendants, they went in one direction, Ham and his descendants in another direction, Shem and his descendants in another direction, all because of the confusion of languages. But that's what then led to their families, the lands where they ended up, uh, the nations, and, and so on. So the human being created by God and unique, unique in the image of God. Well, there's certainly a lot of turmoil about uh, children. The uh, overturn of Roe v. Wade recently was a great decision. It wasn't a conclusive decision when it comes to preserving the life of children, but at least it took the issue out of the federal government and put it back in the hands of state governments. But I want to talk to you about this uh, issue of abortion for a few moments. Uh, Individual human life begins at conception, as God gave this privilege and responsibility of procreation Uh, The human body begins, human life begins at conception. 
Uh, our Lord Jesus entered humanity at conception. Let me talk to you a little bit about the child in the womb. Within 24 hours of fertilization, the egg begins dividing rapidly into many cells. Within three weeks, the nerve cells are formed. Now, just think about this for a minute. Here we have conception, this precious child conceived, an individual human being. Within three weeks, the nerve cells are formed. One month, the face takes form, along with developing of the mouth and the lower jaw and the throat. And the heart, listen, month one, the heart begins to beat about 65 times per minute, but the baby is only about a quarter of an inch in length. Can you think about that for a moment? A quarter of an inch, but there's a heart and it's beating. And as little as that precious one is, the mouth begins to develop, the jaw begins to develop, the throat begins to develop. The destruction of these precious lives is a crime. Month two, facial features. Ears begin, arms, legs, fingers, toes, eyes are forming. Nerve tissues of the central nervous system are well formed by this point. And now that heartbeat is detectable. And now, month three, that little one is about one inch in length. Oh, the miracle of life, folks. Month three, by the third month, the extremities are fully formed, arms and legs and toes and fingers. The baby is opening and, and closing its mouth, and it, it can form the fist with its hand. The organs are now present, and they'll continue to form. The circulatory and urinary systems are working. This is month three. The baby now about four inches long. Month four. Eyelids, brows, lashes are formed. That little one can suck its thumb. It will yawn. It will stretch. It will make faces. The nervous system now functioning. Gender detectable by month four. And the baby now about six inches long. Month five, the muscles develop and move. Hair is growing. Ten inches now and weighing up to maybe a pound. Month six, finger and toe prints. Eyes are open. The baby responds to sound. Now about 12 inches long, two pounds 
and wait. Month seven. Now there's a lot of moving. Ask the mom who carries that baby. But that baby responds to pain, sound, light. Hearing is fully developed. The baby might be 14 inches long, two to four pounds in weight. Month eight, the baby's maturing. The brain is developing rapidly. The internal systems are well-developed. The lungs still immature, but developing. And finally, month nine, continued development. That little one ready to enter the world. What we have done to those precious babies. What we have done to destroy them and are continuing to do to destroy them. And I think we mentioned last time, I heard a report that now 60% of all abortions take place by the woman simply taking pills. Oh my. The human body, what a creation of God. Not, Not a result of evolution, a creation of the God of heaven. Well, this body that develops so precious is subject to dying. We know that. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Now, man was created to live forever. Adam died when he was 930 years old. Methuselah died when he was 969 years old. It was about a thousand years later, Moses died at 120 years. And then as we already noted, you get to Psalm 90 and it talks about life being about 70 years or maybe 80 years. But life in this body will end. Uh, It is determined, not by heartbeat. Uh, I remember when uh, I rode ambulance years ago, Uh, The concern was, you know, is the heart still beating? And if it stopped beating, sometimes people would give up on that person. And then uh, actions were taken to try to restart that heart. So somebody says, I died. Well, you didn't necessarily die if your heart wasn't beating anymore. Uh, Used to be based on breathing, then heartbeat, uh, now more on brain waves. But you know, the real issue of death is when the soul leaves the body. Now, the soul, spirit soul combined, leaves the body at death. The body is left to go into the ground. By the way, Jewish tradition says that the soul hovers over the body for three days, hoping to re enter. That's Jewish tradition. And Jews usually bury within 24 hours because then the soul can begin to climb toward heaven. Paul said for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But you know, I've had loved ones and friends pass away. So have you. More will, 
As I've gotten older, I've seen too many friends pass away. But hallelujah for this body, uh, there is the promise of resurrection. Resurrection means to stand again. <clears throat> and listen, someday, every person who has ever lived and died will stand again. That's sobering. Uh, that should concern us. <laughs> because there are people who will stand again. But the Lord Jesus said that everybody will be raised from the dead, some to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of damnation. But don't you ever forget this for yourself and for everybody you know or have ever known. Everybody will be raised from the dead for the final judgment. Well. There's a lot we could say about resurrection. But what I want to get back to is now this, this body that we have. Your body was developed in your mother's womb just the way I described. You and I were once conceived. You and I were once only a quarter of an inch long. You and I were once then the inch long, then the four inches, and, and so on. You and I were in the womb of our mother, and then we came out into this world to live, but you know what? Because of sin, we're only going to live in this body again for about 70 or 80 years. So what do I do with the body? Does it matter? Does it matter what I do? Well, I suggest to you it surely does, and God puts great emphasis on this. We looked last time at Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 6, that the body is for the Lord. The body is supposed to be used for God. God says he wants that body sanctified. He wants that body set apart to him. He wants those eyes to be used for his glory. He wants those ears to be used for his glory. The body. Well, if I don't get back to Romans 12, we're going to lose our time. But I want to remind you of what Paul said here about the body. He said that he beseeched us. This is a challenge to Christians. So for you, if you are saved, he challenged that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. And I want to ask you if you've done that. God gave you this body. Have you given it back to him? Have you said, Lord, I offer to you my body. You can do with me whatever you want to do. You can do with it whatever you want to do. And to say that is concerning because we experience sickness. We're going to experience death. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, we are not our own. This body is not ours to do with as we please. This body has been entrusted to us by God, and God says, and I want you to give it back to me. I want, it, I want you to present it to me as a sacrifice. What's a sacrifice mean? Well, if I give God a sacrifice, it means I don't control it anymore. I surrender it to him. Uh, when you sacrifice, you do something for God's glory. You say, God, I'm worshiping you with this sacrifice. He says, I want your body as a sacrifice. I want you to use your body 
to glorify me. What you see, what you say, what you do, where you go, what you hear, I want that, God says. And he says, I want it holy. And that takes us back to that 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where he said, sanctified. He wants our body, soul, and spirit sanctified. He wants it holy. He wants it pure. He wants it clean. He said he wants it acceptable to himself, acceptable to God. And as you might know, that term rendered acceptable in our English Bible means well-pleasing. You and I need to go to God and say, God, I want to please you with the way I live in and control and handle my body. The idea is to, to come to grips with this sense of serving God, surrendering to God. Lord, I, I will not seek to run my life. I give it to you. That's why Paul says, and it's a powerful statement right at the end of the verse, he says, which is your reasonable service? How dare you or me being saved would say, God, thank you for saving me. I'm sure glad I'm going to heaven, but you know what? I'm going to control this body for my own liking, for my own purposes. I'm going to dress it the way I want to dress it. I'm going to treat it the way I want to treat it. I'm going to put into it the, what I want to put into it, I'm going to mark it the way I want to mark it. I'm going to dress it the way I want to dress it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And God says, no, you're, you're not your own. No, I want that body. I want it holy. I want it pure. And then Paul says in verse 2, and be not and this has to do with our functioning in the world around us, be not conformed to this world. Don't live the way the world lives. Now, the world expresses itself and its desires through the body, and that's what you and I do. So we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. And boy, we have given way to worldliness in what we say, how we talk, how we sing, how we act, what we listen to. Many times there is no outward difference between the believer and the world in which he lives. But rather, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, why does my body do what it does? Why do I look at what I look at or listen to what I listen to or do what I do or go where I go? Why? Because it's a result of the inner workings of my being. It's a result of my spirit. And then it's a result of the soulish aspects of my being, my mind, my emotions, my will. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then he gives a real spiritual meaning to it when he says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, there's somebody who'll never find out the will of God for them because they have held back their body from God. They're doing their own thing, and uh, they'll never know what God had in store for them or intended for them. Well, with that in mind, with our few moments that's left, I want to go over to 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24, again, a passage you might be familiar with. Paul said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? 
so run that you may obtain. And he said, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now he's getting into to, to physical athletics, talking about sports, the athlete. He says, you know, every athlete who wants to win is temperate in all things. He disciplines and controls himself because he wants to win the prize. So he's not going to just eat anything he wants to eat or drink everything he wants to drink or just sit around in laziness or whatever it is. He lives a disciplined life because he has a purpose to win the race. You and I are supposed to live a disciplined life because we are in a race and we're heading for heaven if we're saved. So he says they do it, the unsaved or the athlete could be saved, but they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. We do it because there's an incorruptible crown. God wants to reward us and honor us for a life devoted to him. Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Paul said, I'm not, uh, you know, in, in shadow boxing here. He said, I am in a battle for God, and it involves how I live my life and what I do with this body. And so verse 27, he said, I keep under my body. That means I bring my body under control. He goes on to say, I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul understood the importance of a disciplined and controlled God-honoring body. I guarantee you he was concerned about what his testimony would be if he fell into sin in that body. You and I need to be concerned. God says, I want your body set apart to me. Hope you think about it. 